something that my my husband does that cracks me up, but it's always actually very helpful, is he congratulates me on when I have normal <laughs> social interactions. <laughs> Way to go, Brad. I know. He'll just be like, hey, you're just really good having conversation with that person that you have never met before at this thing that I drug you to. Or something like that. What a cheerleader. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Enneagram podcast, where we talk about the Enneagram in the context of work. Allow me to introduce our two guests who are both Enneagram type fives. First, we have Kyle Smith, who is the Director of Residence Life for a private Baptist university. And fun fact, I have never actually met in person before doing this podcast, which is a first for me. So thank you so much, Kyle, for joining the show blindly. Thank you for having me. Our second guest is Candace Williams, who is not coming on the show blindly. We've actually met quite a few times. She is the Special Assistant to the President for a private Baptist university. Thank you for joining us, Candace. Thanks. Good to be here. I can't help but think of the office, like special assistant. To the, <laughs> do you get that often? No, actually. <laughs> most people just give me blank stares when I say that. So what does that mean, special assistant to the president? It feels uh, very prestigious. Oh, right, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I basically write and edit for the president's office. So I write for the president and then the vice president. And that's what I do. That's awesome. Very cool. Okay, well, I can't wait to hear more about what being an Enneagram 5 looks like in each of your roles. I know today my hope for our listeners is that they would get a peek behind not just the Enneagram 5, but also the wings of the 5, the 4-wing and the 6-wing. And I'm going to do something I haven't done in past episodes and just kind of give a rundown of what the Enneagram 5 is. So if you're listening and you're new to the Enneagram and you're hearing all these numbers, you're probably thinking, I don't know what any of that means. Well, high-level overview, Enneagram 5s are known as the observer. They are motivated by having information, being competent, being capable, and their greatest fear is being bombarded with um, tasks or work that is overwhelming for them, that they don't have enough energy to participate in. If they're not given the resources they need to get their job done, if they don't have the information they need to complete the task. These are things that are hard for fives. Their wing for the four, that's pulling from the uh, individualist. And that, if you want to listen to fours, we've got some former episodes. We have the core motivations episode, which I'll link to in the show notes. And then also our past episode, you get to hear about the four. Uh, They're individualist. Um, And they are motivated by being unique. And so when the five wings on the four, there's a creative element that they bring into their work. And then the other wing is the six. That is the loyalist. And when the five wing six, they really bring this element of problem solving, which is really neat. Fives are independent by nature. And that six wing helps them be interdependent in very healthy ways. So that's a high-level overview. Now, I want to turn it back over to you guys. Kyle, what is the best thing about your job as a director of residence life right now? I think the best thing is that I get to work with a large team of 13 resident directors and really guide them as we develop and we understand what belonging looks like on a university campus and how to mentor and disciple students, NRAs as well, resident assistants. It's amazing. Thank you for spelling that out, RAs, because... Somebody out there is probably like, what? What does that mean? I appreciate that. 
Uh, I, I can already sense a little bit of that four wing, that draw to like no. belonging. <laughs> yes. That's very core yeah. to fours of like, I want to, I want to belong, and, but I also want to be unique, but I can already see a little bit of that mm-hmm. uh, pool. So yeah. what is it about higher education that you just love? I don't know what else I would do. <laughs> I have a doctorate and a master's in higher education. That's but your competency. Yes, right that is my competency. But <laughs> what continually brings me back to higher education and I think this is probably a common narrative with um, with those that have chosen a lifelong career in higher ed is the experiences that they had in college. And so I had a phenomenal experience at my alma mater. Um, I was I was mentored. I was discipled. I had I got to work on hard things in my life, uh, and um, and I got to do it around really solid individuals. That not only helped me understand my faith, they helped me understand who I was as a follower of Christ. That's really cool. It's neat to have those impactful moments and then be able to pay it forward later in life. So very cool, Kyle. Thanks. Mm -hmm. All right, Candice, you've already told me a little bit about your role as a special assistant to the president. How long have you done that? And what else does that entail, if anything, other than writing for the president and vice president? Um, I have been there for five years, going on six years now in that role. Um, Mostly that is what it entails, and it's not always writing specifically for them. Sometimes I will edit for other offices. Basically, if it's anything that has the president's name on it or if it's coming out of our office, then it's something that I look at and make sure that the message is clear and it's the message that we want to send. That's basically what my role is. Do you have any writing or editing in your background? Well, my major is English, and then I have a um, master's degree as well in education. And so I taught high school English for six years before this. So hopefully I'm pretty good at writing and editing. Otherwise, (laughs) my poor students (laughs) would have been in trouble. So Uh, that's where I was before I came into this role. And I enjoy it. I enjoy the aspect of being able to take something that somebody has in their head and put it down on paper and make it clear to the masses. I love that. That's helpful. And clarity matters. I'm learning that in uh, some marketing research that I'm doing. The clearer you can be, the better. Yes, you would be amazed. It takes (laughs) how much time? I'm curious. Well, I mean, it just has to go through a lot of hands and has to pass through a lot of people. It's not like it's just one person writes it and everybody's like, this is good to go. That just doesn't happen. So it usually takes multiple days. Feedback and revisions and feedback and revisions. Mm -hmm. With your role, would you say the students have needs and wants and desires from you just as much as your RAs have needs, wants, and desires? I would say that I don't get a ton of interaction with students. Some of that's just kind of the structure and how it's built in. Okay. Uh, The the students uh, do, unless it's a larger problem, do go to their resident directors first, their RDs. That's awesome. Um, unless it is a, a larger issue that I should be handling. Mm-hmm. That's helpful to have that hierarchy so that mm-hmm. not everybody is coming directly yeah. to you. That yeah. would be exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. What about you, Candice? What's the most challenging thing about your job right now? Mostly it's when you write something and you work on it and you're like, yes, this is really good. And then you give it to somebody. They're like, yeah, I don't really like it. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what specifically do you have an issue with? <laughs> to rein it back in. Yes. 
And a lot of times I'm not writing for myself. And so if I'm going to write for me, it's going to look very different. Like the voice is going to be totally different than if I'm writing for somebody else. And so Mm -hmm. I have to, you know, figure out who this is going to and who the I'm writing for. Mm -hmm. And so that voice comes through. And a lot of times if there's, you know, 20 people in the room that all have different voices, then it's like, well, we can't capture all of you. And so it's that that's challenging. And then sometimes you just don't, I don't know all the information, which makes it challenging to Mm -hmm. write something with clarity when you don't have all the pieces to the puzzle. So sometimes that's hard because Mm -hmm. it's such a big organization and everybody has their little tidbit. And so you have to figure out what, what really matters and what needs to be included and what needs to be omitted. That is challenging. Do you find yourself informing people often about like brand voice and consistency and clarity? That thankfully is not really my role. That's but I don't have to deal with that. We have a we have another department for that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but I try to be consistent with that. Mostly I find myself having to answer grammar questions all day. That is awesome. Okay, fives and Enneagram ones both have a tendency towards appropriate grammar. Do y'all resonate with that? Can you spot when there are grammatical errors and things pretty quickly? Does it frustrate you? I think it frustrates me when I find my own grammatical errors Mm -hmm. than anything. If I send something out and then I realize I just misspelled a word or I did not communicate that in a correct way, then I think I beat myself up a little bit more than than I should. So I think it's more of an internal than an external. I'm the same way. I'm harder on myself than I am on anybody else, probably because it's... I don't know, grammar is really hard and it's very fluid. Things are constantly changing. Mm-hmm. And it's just hard to be so critical of people who, I mean, maybe that's not their skill set and that's not what they're, you know, all about in life. They're just trying to do the best they can. And so, and I've made so many errors in life when it comes to that, yeah. that it's just, you know, you got to give grace to people. And if I'm supposed to be looking for it, I will. And if not, I turn it off. That's awesome. Because that's, I don't want to be that person that's just annoying. Be like, oh, look what you've done here. <laughs> Thank you very much. Because I've gotten <laughs> phone calls before, like when I put something in like a mass email that had to go out to everyone and somehow there was an error in it. People are going, oh, did you mean to do that? I'm cl- clearly not. <laughs> clearly, I did not mean <laughs> to do that. Thank you for calling me and I pointing it out. <laughs> that was just so helpful. Uh, so what do you do in cir- circumstances like that when they, they do call out? There's nothing you can do. It's no. sent. It's published. I know. So if you're listening, stop doing that to Candace. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. There's nothing she can do. No. <laughs> do better next time. <laughs> there was an autocorrect issue one time that it autocorrected a word that was, whew, it was a bad error. And I just didn't, it was right on my copy. And then somehow when it got copied oh, over, it switched. No. And I was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it was a terrible error. I was like, mm. So that was, sometimes it's not my fault, but I, I'm the one Today who did is it, my so. last day. Yeah, I know. I was like, this might be it. This is the end. <laughs> okay, Kyle, how do you know that you're an Enneagram 5? I'll be honest, this is a question I did not know how to answer. I was like, how do I know? Uh, well, I took a test. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the data told you. The data, the data proved that I was a five <laughs> and I was nothing else. No. That is awesome. So my wife and I took the Enneagram test at the same time. We were living in California. Uh, we were going to a church that was actually doing a sermon series on the Enneagram. 
And so our small group all took the Enneagram test, and it was really a process of kind of helping us understand who we are, not only as individuals, but as a, uh, in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so before taking the test, my, my wife was like, you're a five. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> and so, and, you know, she gave some characteristics, some, some that were absolutely negative, <laughs> others that Thanks were, a lot. yeah. <laughs> Others that I was I was offended about just because I tried so much not to be that person. Mm -hmm. I tried so much to be emotionally available to at that time our son mm -hmm. and my family and our friends, but I would get frustrated with myself that I needed time to recharge. And at times my my wife would get frustrated that I needed additional time to recharge, depending on the circumstances of the day. Mm -hmm. Things kind of started filling in and understand, understanding that I love researching things and I am a wealth of useless knowledge <laughs> at times. And I can get really sidetracked in understanding a certain aspect or a certain thing that no one really cares to know about, except for but me. But you care. But yes. I care, yes. yes. And then I can store it in the back of my head and maybe one day I'll use it. Absolutely. Maybe. So I think that's how I knew, but how I understood it more was all these traits that I kind of figured were or understood were a little bit negative about me were actually relatively positive mm -hmm. of who I am and who God created me to be. That's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, I got goosebumps. I love that. <laughs> that's good. Okay. Do you resonate with the need to recharge? Like yes. you need to recharge, quote, more than the average person. Yes, I really, I do, but not most, not really from work because I don't really have a job where I have to interact with a lot of people. I mostly stay in my office. That's wonderful. All day. People come to me. <laughs> I just don't leave. But uh, occasionally I get out and about, but for the most part, I stay put. But in, I know if I am in social situations um, or I know I have to be around a lot of people or in that way that I know when I come home, like I will be totally drained. Mm -hmm. And Thankfully, my my husband knows that about me too. I refer to him as the social butterfly. <laughs> yes, in in groups, of, large groups of people, I am totally awkward, guys. I have no clue what I'm doing in that situation. <laughs> I really don't. You're not Amen. as awkward as you think you are. No, I, I really you. am. I have no idea what to say to you. <laughs> like, I don't really make small talk well, and so I'm kind of like, mm -hmm. good day. I, I got nothing <laughs> exactly. It's, How are you? Like, I'm gonna turn around and leave now. Yeah. <laughs> Go Stand to the here and observe your conversation. <laughs> Are Sunday mornings at church like the worst for, for you as a five? Because I feel like that's nothing but small talk. I'll be honest. We get in and we get out. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, we have three kids under nine. So 90% of the time we are running late. Yes. My wife just takes, in this situation, just takes my lead. She's like, go check in the kids. I'll give you the tasks so that then I can enjoy the people. That's our plan every every Sunday. It's a good system. And so, um, you know, I feel bad saying, well, we get in and we get out. But really, I mean, we do interact a little bit. But after church, I'll find the, the few people I do interact with and talk to them. My wife is everywhere, talking to everyone. And then I'll just slowly start making my way out to the car <laughs> with the kids or with whatever child wants to go with me. Yes. And, you know, I'll text her. We're in the car. Or <laughs> What um, Enneagram is your wife? A three. Okay. Yeah. So, or we'll make eye contact across uh, across the way, and I'll just be like, "I'm gonna go." <laughs> she'll she'll nod her head. That's awesome. Yeah, she's like, "I'll meet you at the car." Yeah, I got you. Yep. <laughs> 
What about you? Is it small talk uncomfortable on Sundays? I not really because I know enough people at the church well that it doesn't really bother me. That's nice. But I do not want to say hi to anybody when we're greeting. Like <laughs> and the sanctuary's like turn and greet a neighbor. I'm like, no. No, thank you. Like, I don't know these people. What are we going to say? Hi. And then like, I mean, exchange a name that I'll never remember again. It's just like, I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. But unless I know the person. I'm like, right. hi, how are you? Otherwise, <laughs> Then I am genuinely excited to see you because I, I know you. I mean, I don't mind meeting new people, but I just need a background to go in with. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned this time to recharge. How do you know in the middle of the day or at the end of the day, how do you know when you've hit your limit? And then what does recharging look like for y'all? It really depends on the day of what my limit looks like. Mm-hmm. I mean, many people have said it as fives. We we don't wake up with 100% charge. Mm-hmm. And so it could be 60. It could be on really bad days, 20. Wow. When I get home and I'm the cook in our family, so I, I cook dinner. It, it gives my, I would say that time gives my wife to kind of recharge on her own. As a three, she needs like three seconds to, <laughs> to recharge. Yes. And so my rhythm is get home, cook. Not a lot of questions are asked of dad. And then we sit down. And so we sit down and we eat. We talk about our day. Um, I can usually tell at that time, like, oh, I'm, I'm at zero. I have nothing to give. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, then I usually excuse myself and just say, hey, I need maybe 30 minutes to, to gather my thoughts or um, to go and decompress for a little bit. And so I do that um, or I'll get on the Peloton and ride because that's that Good there's some therapy in that. <laughs> um, and then I'm able to kind of reconnect with my family. Totally. What about for you, Candace? How can you tell when you're like, nope, I've hit my limit? And then how do you recharge? I think mostly I can, I mean, I can feel it when it's happening because I start to resent the people around me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't care what you're saying to me right now. (laughs) I'm like, I try to, you know, it's it's when you're you're having to force this energy out Mm -hmm. of you. And then at that point, I'm like, I need to leave this situation (laughs) because then the filter goes away. And so for the sake of my Christian witness, I know it's like, (laughs) I need to step away. (laughs) That mostly happens around like large groups of people in social situations when I'm not familiar with everyone around me. I don't really need that much time to recharge, to be honest. I just need sometimes I'll sit in my car. Mm-hmm. And I won't get out for mm-hmm. a little bit. And my husband like peeks out the window. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just, just going to need a minute. It's going to need a minute. That's good to know. Okay. Next question for you guys. Would you say that you are more developed in your four wing or your six wing? I would definitely say my four wing. Okay. Tell me about that. I would say I see a lot of it in my career. Okay. And so, you know. There, there is this huge understanding for, for me or a sense that I want students in housing and residence life to understand their belonging at the institution and what that helps them do after they graduate. My position is a very people-focused, mm-hmm. and so I do take on a lot of feelings. And I think as a five, I'm able to not necessarily compartmentalize them, but understand what the truth is behind it. 
That's wonderful. Uh, and see and see what is maybe what's a lie, mm-hmm. and see what's truth in in that feeling. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily calling people out uh, right. in their in their lies um, or their truth, but really deciphering what what the core of the issue is. Which I would say is why I probably work really well with fours, and a lot of my best friends are fours. That's awesome. Um, and because. I get it. I understand to an extent. Mm-hmm. As a five, to an extent, I understand. Sure. Sure. But I'm not going to, it's going to sound bad. I'm not going to wallow in the feeling. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Kyle. Mm-hmm. All right, Candace, would you say you're more developed in your four wing or your six wing? Probably my four. I haven't looked like that extensively into the either one, to be honest. Um, but, which is weird for a five to say such a thing. At <laughs> the same time, it's true. Um, but I would say four, just because I do enjoy the aspect of the creativity and the freedom. I also see the other side because I do like to, I like to teach and I like to have all the information and I like to be able to piecemeal it out in a way that makes sense to others and throw it out there. But I think that also involves creativity because not everybody mm-hmm. can process things in the same way. And so you have to come at it from find the different ways and present Mm -hmm. it in four different ways. Do you see the six um, for y'all, the loyalty show up in your friendships a lot? I see that a lot of times in fives where the six wing shows up is usually they're loyal to their friendships and they're loyal to the things that they're familiar with, almost to a fault. Like my father-in-law's a five and he wanted to get a massage. And so he said, I want to know who you go because I trust you. And I said, awesome. I go to this person. She quit the week. And he was like, all in a panic. And he's like, I need to know what happened. Is everything okay? Who do I, now I can't trust who the other people on the staff because I don't know them. I haven't gotten a massage from them. So he's very loyal to the things that he's comfortable with. And part of that is the six wing of the loyalty. But part of that is the five of, I have to figure something else out that's new that I don't trust the information yet. So do y'all resonate with any of that? I can see that because I know that, I mean, I am very loyal to the friends that I have and the ones that I know I can, I can trust and I've developed that relationship too, but I also have learned that it is good for me to seek out other relationships. That's something that I have had to force myself to do. Mm -hmm. I remember like several times in my life, like whenever I went to college, I like prayed, prayed and I said, God, I need you to bring me friends. Like good friends. Yeah. Because it's going to be hard for me to go out and just find these people. And I'm in a completely new environment. And I know I need that. And like stepping out and going to a Bible study for the first time. Like I feel a lot for the people who show up to women's Bible study on Monday nights. And I always, you know, stand up there and say, this is your first time and you're here. You, you've you just shown up. Like amazing. Like great job. Because I know that how much that is how hard that can be for some people to do. But you have to, I know that about myself that I've had to force myself into this situation several times. And it's always a good thing, Mm -hmm. even if it's terribly uncomfortable, (laughs) but it's it's a good thing. But I, I, that is something that I have to force myself to do and to, to uh, recognize that I, I need that. And that's a healthy thing for me. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's a wonderful thing for fives to hear that investing in new relationships is a healthy thing. Yeah. Because it's somewhat counterintuitive. Yeah, it's comfortable to stay where you are, Mm -hmm. but that's not always the best. What about you, Kyle? Yeah, I can definitely see the aspect of loyalty 
playing out even at even in work in hiring or onboarding a new resident director i give the same kind of spiel of hey this is who i am this is what i'm about i'm loyal i'm consistent you're not going to come in and one day i'm going to be a completely different person i'm going to be me through and through um and i'm going to be loyal as well um and i think the hard part with even within this month is understanding that loyalty comes to a fault and so when people break that trust the loyalty is no longer there mm. um and processing through that and understanding that you know things happen people lie people make bad decisions god still forgives them mm. and you should too Kyle <laughs> <laughs> right it's hard to convince yourself of that sometimes you can i can hold a grudge for a real long time yes because of this yes and you're just like you you've done this to me yes <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, as a one, I, I relate. Mine's resentment. Mine is like, I, I, maybe I forgive, but I won't forget. I'm like, oh, that's also not f- forgiveness because I'm still <laughs> resenting them. <laughs> yeah, that's very honest. I appreciate that. Yeah. One thing I'm curious about, if you'll have a story, I would love to hear a story. One of the gifts of the fives is their ability to take time to make a decision And then they're very well informed on that. So they know what they're going for. They know once they make the decision, they're committed. Part of that is the the loyalty of the six too. If I'm loyal to this God, I'm loyal to this job, I'm loyal to this spouse, whatever it is. But from the five space, it comes from doing your due diligence and uh, doing the research and coming to your own conclusion which a lot of other Enneagram types don't necessarily do. They they can, but it doesn't come as natural, I would say, for a lot of the other Enneagram types. The flip side of that, so there's a shadow side to each of our Enneagram types. Uh, the flip side of that is that sometimes you may prolong a decision longer than it needs to be. You may stew over it. You may research. You may lose out on an opportunity um, because you are in search of more and more information. Have y'all experienced that? Do you have a story to tell of a time where you have maybe waited too long to make a decision? So I have two stories actually. Yay! And I probably like, this goes back to, <laughs> how did you know you were a five? So my parents continually, I'm a twin. And so uh, I have a twin brother. We're polar opposites. Fraternal or identical? Fraternal, but we look a lot a lot alike. Cool. So we we could be identical passing. Okay. Um and so when we were little, my parents would take us to 7-Eleven or the candy shop and I would stand in the candy aisle and not be able to make a decision. I could not. While my brother has like made his decision, he's like just waiting for me. <laughs> As a child, I guess I, I knew that I was a five then of making a, and to me, it was at that point in time in my life, that was a huge decision. Yes. What candy bar or what candy am That's I going to get? That's life and death. Yes. It would take me forever to make a decision on my own. But even, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm probably the worst car buyer because I spend so much time researching mm-hmm. and so much time looking at what I want. Sometimes that's actually a benefit. Um, other times, like with our current, our newer vehicle that we purchased a couple years ago, we had to drive hundreds of miles to go get it <laughs> or have it delivered to us. Uh, th- those were our options. But uh, many times we missed out on something because I needed to do my research mm-hmm. and um, and make time to do that. Mm-hmm. Those are good. 
good examples. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Anything come to mind, Candace? I don't know. I don't really have. I mean, I do. I I do like to do my research with about things, but a lot of times, I like, I know exactly what I want, and so it's oh. just the basis of finding it, which is that's kind of the problem. But I think over the years, I've just kind of honed down and have certain resources that I know I can go to to expedite the process because otherwise, yeah, it could be a little bit overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But I know that that's something that's in me that's a conscious thing that I know that some people require because I have found myself with my kids making sure that they have ample time to make decisions ahead of time because I, I, I find myself prepping them often for everything. Awesome. And I always tell my husband, it's like, no, you got, we got we to prep them, make <laughs> sure they know what's coming. And so it's like, okay, in 10 minutes, we are <laughs> going to be doing this. And this will require this and this and this. And so be ready. Or if we're going somewhere, I'm like, all right, we're going to be going to this place. They have these options. You need to think about now what it is you want. That's so smart. But I think that's because that's what I want. And so maybe that's why I'm doing it for them. I don't even know they require it often but sometimes i think sometimes they do it's so maybe beneficial it's, yeah especially with kids yeah probably you can set but. the expectation because they i mean when you think about it they have very little agency and when you can give them that agency ahead of time i think that can be beneficial maybe it would have been helpful there for you, you hey we're gonna there stop at the gas station think now about your candy yeah yeah maybe no who knows? idea who knows <laughs> Who can say? I probably, honestly, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Might have helped, might have not. What was the fear that was holding it? Was it like, I'm going to get the wrong one and I'm not going to like it? Probably. Okay. Yeah. 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 I can relate to yeah. that. That's awesome. Okay. I'm wrapping up here. The last question I want to ask you guys is what advice would you give other fives? So you can give it from from the perspective of here's something I would love other fives to know or something that's been encouraging to me that I want to share. Or you can actually do it from the other perspective of here's something I wish other people knew about Enneagram fives or had more grace for. There's an aspect where when people are maybe new to Enneagram or new to understanding fives is the idea that we have few feelings or we have no feelings. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that we feel when we feel, we feel deep, pit of your stomach deep. And a lot of that comes from observation, research, understanding, spending time with someone, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And while we may not be completely informed by emotions when making a decision, there's still an aspect of that that available and that there. That's so good. I love that. It's a great thing for fives to hear, but also for other people to know about fives. I think you're right. There's an assumption of like, oh, fives are emotionally stunted or fives don't have emotions at all. And yeah, that's not true. So thank you, Carl. Mine really mostly is what I tell people that I'm kind of close with a lot of times if we're interacting with other people. I'm just like, make sure they know that it's not, I don't dislike them. I just don't know (laughs) what to say to them. Like a lot of times, especially in bigger groups that I'm, I'm better with small, smaller groups, I guess, but I just don't, like, I want to know things about you. Yeah. But I, I just, we don't do, I don't think many fives do small talk well at all. And so it's not that we don't want to know about you or want to interact or anything like that. It's just, we are just clueless about what to actually talk to you about. Yes. Well, I don't know you. So how am I supposed to? And here, I think here's my theory. 
It takes intellectual energy to think about questions to ask somebody so that you can find some kind of common ground. I mean, you can get through a list of, of 10 questions and not relate to the other person. And you're like, oh my gosh, that took me there. I was at 60% and now I'm at five mm-hmm. just by asking those 10 questions. Is that, does that feel accurate? Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of mental energy. So what is something that we can do if we are in a large group and we notice that five is just standing on the outskirts, watching everything go down? Do we leave you be? Do we come to you and just engage with you and say, hey, how long have you been blah, blah, blah? I don't know. Like, it, <laughs> honestly, it depends. I uh, if does. I am, I'll be honest, if I'm forced to go to a large gathering, and what, what I mean by forced is my wife is like, no, we're going and you're going to get dressed and get ready. <laughs> Sometimes I need that moment just to warm up for my wife and I to have a dialogue as a three. She's, I mean, she's an extrovert as well. And so she wants to be there. She wants to interact with people. And so, you know, I'll give myself a time limit to do that. Mm -hmm. Or I'll tell her like, hey, here's my max. We got an hour and a half to two hours. And then I'm just going to shut down and go hide in the corner in fetal position. (laughs) And you can come get me (laughs) later. No, That's good for you to communicate to her. For me, I think it's better to approach Especially if you know me, because then you can actually ask me a question that I can talk about normally with somebody, which is always helpful. Something that my my husband does that cracks me up, but it's always actually very helpful, is he congratulates me on when I have normal (laughs) social interactions. (laughs) Way to go, Brad! I know. He'll he'll just be like, hey, you did really good having conversation with that person that you have never met before at this thing that I drug you to. Or something like that. What a cheerleader. And I'm just like, like, I don't really want to hear it, but I do want to hear it at the same time. Thank you for noticing. (laughs) Yes, I pulled that out of me from somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) But it's good to know that, oh, somebody, you know, noticed that I put forth effort that I really maybe didn't want to. Yeah. But it's always good to hear. That is good to hear. And it's good when people can see you that that way, too, and acknowledge like that's more challenging for you as a five than it is for maybe the rest of us. So yeah. I applaud you for doing he that. Because usually I'll just, you know, stay in there. I'll listen. I'm engaged and listening but not actually. It's like, you ask questions. You did good. (laughs) Thank you. you. (laughs) That's right. And sometimes it just takes the the seven to come and befriend a five and ask the questions and get them to talk. Mm. I mean, they're the social butterflies. They're the hype men and women. And so they want to have fun and they want everyone to be involved. Mm. Get them engaged. Warmed up. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I love it. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this conversation with Enneagram 5's Kyle Smith and Candace Williams. I hope you found today's episode interesting and beneficial. Did you know that Enneagram 5's belong to the head triad in the Enneagram? Not quite sure what that means? Well, basically, the Enneagram identifies three centers of intelligence. The head center, which holds the type 5's, 6's, and 7's. The heart center, which holds types twos, threes, and fours, and then the body center, which holds types eights, nines, and ones. If you're curious about learning more about the different centers of intelligence, namely how your thoughts, feelings, and actions all work together, then you won't want to miss my upcoming webinar. 
Understanding the Enneagram Centers of Intelligence can be valuable in a work setting as it provides insights into individuals' dominant patterns of thinking, feeling, and acting. By understanding the Enneagram Centers of Intelligence, team members and managers can improve communication, enhance self-awareness, optimize their team dynamics, and support personal and professional development. To sign up for the Centers of Intelligence webinar, Simply click on the link in the show notes or go to the workingenneagram.com forward slash upcoming dash events. As always, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.